Hello, this is Josh. We're continuing with a sunlit absence, silence, awareness, and contemplation. This is Father Martin Laird's second book in a three-book series on contemplation. And we are going to be entering into chapter four. Chapter four is eponymous, I guess. For the book's title, at least, uh, it is titled A Sunlit Absence, The Light of Awareness, which is the title of the book. So this is a very thick chapter. I would say that it is really the heart of the book. It summarizes the core of the book, and this is a chapter that deserves to be read and reread and reread. Father Laird uses for us lots of literary references, poetry, stories, lots of metaphors. He even mixes his metaphors often, and what he's doing here is coming at contemplation from one angle. Let's see it this way, and then let's come over here and see it from this way, and then let's change, let's try to look at it from this other perspective, because contemplative prayer is the most difficult type of prayer to talk about when we are trying to help people pray wordlessly to access the deeper parts of themselves. These are the deeper parts of ourselves that we don't have words to define them with. You may be wondering, now, why again are we attempting something that is admittedly so difficult? Why bother, especially in the midst of COVID-19, quarantining, and the major political questions, the racism, the strife that we're experiencing as a country. Why bother with this? So before we dive into chapter four, I want to offer a few reminders to recollect our thoughts of what we're doing and why we're doing this. So first of all, contemplation is not something that's reserved for mystics or third or fourth century monks who lived out in the desert, we are already practicing some form of contemplation. We can simply say at the beginning level, contemplation is a matter of being present. How can I become more alive to the world, more attentive to myself, more patient and loving and embracing of those that I'm with? And then when we turn this to the question of prayer, how can I do this kind of open-hearted waiting, this wordless, quiet trust in God himself? One helpful way to diagnose the trouble comes from the vocabulary of a sociologist. Dalton Connolly says that our trouble in North America, in Western civilization, psychically, is that we have become the elsewhere self. What he says is we have outsourced our happiness to our devices and our technologies. So we no longer know how to slow down, and that technology very well may be your calendar. It may be your to-do list, not just your smartphone or your laptop or your smart TV with Let's see, what do we have now? 
Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon, Hulu, ESPN. So there's no surprise that when social media and smartphones become ubiquitous, there is a surge for what has become known as mindfulness, even in secular communities. Mindfulness originally was a Buddhist practice of being present to the moment, emptying yourself, detaching, unburdening the mind of distractions. And what we're saying is that contemplation in the Christian tradition is that kind of emptying surrender to presentness with the help of the Holy Spirit, that we are not just seeking an emptiness, but we're pursuing a presence. So contemplation is a centering. It is centering prayer. It is coming into my deepest, inmost being in my center. So that's the first reason why we're pursuing contemplation in the midst of upheaval and tension trauma. We need a place of rest and trust. And contemplation has much to offer us in the discipline. As Father Laird says, the skill of learning to turn our attention away from all the dissipations, what we've called from the desert tradition, the passions, to be able to rest in the presence of God, centering. The second reason why we would practice contemplation during especially the political strife, the questions of racism, the questions of inherent bias. Sure, I am not a hood-wearing KKK member, but is there some part of my thought life, my vocabulary, that has an inherent bias to my privilege? That's a very difficult thing to unravel through a lecture or reading a book. Then we would say that within contemplation, within deeper transformative prayer, once we come to a place of being centered in God, ironically, we end up becoming decentered. The Holy Spirit comes in to disrupt our self dependence and our self reliance, and prayer becomes a kind of looking in the mirror to see ourselves both the good, the holy, the true, the redeeming parts of ourselves, as well as the ugly, the hard, the sick, the broken. And then we get to be able to see when it comes to these current conversations, not how the person across the aisle is the problem, but how I am the problem. And that then engenders a kind of humility that allows us to become more like Jesus and to be part of the healing of this world. And again, to review, and in that healing, we are not reactive people. We're not fragile or brittle. So the opposite of the contemplative life, says Father Laird, is not the active life. The opposite of the contemplative life is the reactive life. So through contemplation, we come to our center, we disrupt that center, and then we heal back to a new, deeper self. Some of the language that has been used before to describe this journey 
I think of the theologian Walter Brueggemann, is orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. So we begin to collect our theology, our Bible study, our sense of ourselves, our sense of the world. We come into contact with our consciousness as we get closer to Christ. We become one who is following Jesus as a disciple, but then as you follow him along treacherous territory, it will be the desert, the wilderness. It might be a high, treacherous mountain climb, you may have to traverse beside some wild beasts. Things will become strange. But then we begin to have a vision for how we come together into a deeper, more wise, and collected self in our reorientation. So in the last bit of insight I'll offer you before we dive into chapter 4 is the idea that this path towards the inner self, this awareness where we find more of God, is a process of unlearning. The vocabulary theologically for this is the apophatic. So Jesus is the mystery that was revealed, that the prophets longed to see. He is the mystery that was revealed so between that, we have the two natures of God, the mysterious, transcendent, other being that we know him through, the apophatic. And then he's also the revealed. He's the word that became flesh, the one we have scriptures written about. It is revealed, the imminent one, and that is the cataphatic. So most of American spirituality is cataphatic. It is that revealed one. What we're doing here with contemplative prayer is going into the mysterion. And this is the difficult part of our practice and our theology. We struggle to have language for this. That's why I feel honored that anyone would continue to listen through this podcast to attempt this again and again throughout the summer to try to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord so it's not that the apophatic does not come with a kind of knowledge. We could say it's a kind of revelation. It's just a revelation that is beyond my thoughts, beyond my emotions, beyond my best actions. And this is why we say that prayer cannot be taught through books or through a podcast or through a spiritual director. The only way to learn to pray is to actually pray. And then we begin to experience parts of our inner self where God abides. And there is, in the language of Father Laird, that's why he calls it a sunlit absence. It's bright and shining, but it's not a thing. It's an absence. It is a mystery. So if you're struggling with this, you're not alone. And I ask you to not be tempted towards shame. It may not be time for you to go much deeper in contemplation this summer. The gift of journeying through this book is that now you begin to see that there is more, that there is a possibility, 
of more. And in the right time and in the right way, the Holy Spirit will lead you into this depth. So remember, the place you're supposed to be is in Christ, and who you are today is exactly who he wants you to be. The question for each day is, what is the next step? We all cannot suddenly become Father Laird. We cannot become Hesychios, who is mentioned much in chapter 4, who is such a practitioner that we don't even know when he lived because he was so devoted to prayer and teaching that he didn't even keep track of much of his biography. So there's some scholars that think Hesychios was a 5th century, and others believe it's probably another man, Hesychios of Sinai, from the 8th and the ninth century. So there is some heights to be climbed. And when we realize how much more there's possibly available to us, then we can really quickly be trapped by the dark voices that would want to cause us all kinds of shame and guilt for not having climbed them already. That would be like my 13-year-old self when I was taken into the weight room by the head football coach of high school, and I was introduced to what a 45-pound bar was and what a bench press was, and I'm trying to get that 45 pounds up and down off my chest and then I look over and I see a a junior on the football team pressing 225 pounds and I automatically feel like a weakling I feel insecure and full of doubt oh I'll never be a very strong person so I pray that this journey through chapter 4 will be inspiring for us instead and that we will move ahead step by step in grace and mercy. So let's attend to our practice because, again, this is not something we can read and discover in a book. We only discover this through God. Let's be intentional now about how we open ourselves go into our posture of rest we're attempting the Jesus prayer with just the sacred name the holy and sacred name of Jesus is full of power and majesty full of help and light so we slowly breathe in Jesus and out Jesus We're dismissing our impatient thoughts. We're turning our heart to love. We're allowing ourselves to be present here. Returning again and again to the name of Jesus.
Amen. So to introduce chapter 4, Father Laird offers us one final image, one final metaphor for everything that has gone before to help us conceptualize what it is that we're up to before he takes us into the deeper realms of awareness. So on page 60, he's talking about Michelangelo working on sculpture. He writes, According to ancient theory of art, the practice of sculpting has less to do with fashioning a figure of one's choosing than with being able to see in the stone the figure waiting to be liberated. The sculpture imposes nothing but only frees what is held captive in the stone. The practice of contemplation is something like this. It does not work by means of addition or acquisition, but by release, chiseling away thought-shackled illusions of separation from God. We emerge from the debris of separation and stand up, quote, set free from the snare of the fowler, end quote. Psalm 91.3 The third century spiritual master, Plotinus, speaks of contemplation and sculpture in his treatise on beauty. Quote, if you do not find yourself beautiful yet, end quote, he advises, quote, act as does the creator of a statue that is to be made beautiful. He cuts away here, he smooths there. He makes this line lighter, the other purer, until a lovely face has grown upon his work. So do you also cut away all that is excessive, straighten all that is crooked, bring light to all that is overcast, labor to make all one glow of beauty, and never cease chiseling your stone, until there shall shine out on you from it the godlike splendor of virtue. End quote. The Orthodox monk. Amphilochus of Patmos proclaims, quote, You should be joyful. Jesus holds a chisel in his hands. He wants to make you into a statue for the heavenly place. St. Teresa of Avila describes this process with a more succulent metaphor. She likens it to peeling fruit. Quote, Imagine a palmetto fruit, layer upon layer must be peeled back to reach the tasty part in the middle. End quote. If God is the sculptor, our practice is like a chisel that works effectively and patiently to remove stone, just as the progress of chiseling, brushing, and blowing away debris and dust is not by way of acquisition, the way an assembly of bricks and mortar acquires us a building. So the practice of contemplation does not acquire for us some thing. Contemplative practice proceeds by way of the engaged receptivity of release, of prying loose, of letting go of the need to have our life circumstances be a certain way in order for us to live or pray or be deeply happy. The stone that is removed is our embedded and frenzied preoccupation with the inner video 
and all the ego metrics involved in trying to gauge just how our spiritual lives are progressing. With enough of this stone removed, the chiseling becomes a quiet excavation of the present moment. What emerges from the chiseled and richly veined poverty of the present moment? The emerging figure is our life as Christ. Philippians 1.21, Colossians 3.3-4. St. Augustine says, quote, Therefore, brothers and sisters, what calls for all our efforts in this life is the healing of the eye of the heart with which God is to be seen. End quote. What does this inner eye see once it is restored to health? Many of the saints and sages of the contemplative tradition speak of this restoration in a language of vastness, light, awareness, and watchfulness. At the beginning of the interior castle, St. Teresa of Avila, for example, insists that, quote, the soul is vast, spacious, plentiful. This amplitude is impossible to exaggerate. The sun at the center of this place radiates to every part, end quote. By the book's end, she is still speaking of our depths along these lines. Quote, we are not referring to some dark corner, but to a vast inner space. End quote. According to St. Augustine, this vast inner space of the soul, an abyss, as he terms it, is completely open and porous to God. Quote, Indeed, Lord, to your eyes, the abyss of human consciousness is naked. End quote. This spaciousness describes not only David in his gallery of light, but also the inner eye that perceives the gallery of light. Awareness, consciousness, watchfulness is this vast inner space radiating everywhere. It is not an object, rather all objects, physical objects or internal objects like thoughts and feelings. They appear and disappear in this awareness. A sunlit absence to adapt Seamus Haney, it's a poet. Always luminous, but never quite pinned down, this sunlit absence suffuses and embraces all, as open to the luminous ground as air to light. Quote, In your light, Lord, we see light. End quote. Psalm 36, 10. So the conundrum of entering and resting in God's presence is this question of when I pray and I calm myself what is it that I should expect and the masters from the desert and even on up through John of the Cross and into Thomas Merton they would say when you approach God you should expect nothing however the trouble is that a nothing is a something. Our knowledge of God is and is not like our knowledge of anything else. So please don't become impatient with that statement that God's nothing 
is a something. You might consider when you close your eyes and if you were to conceive that God is in the room with you, that God is an ever-present help in times of trouble, that he is an imminent God who comes near to you. When you close your eyes and contemplate God's presence, are you someone who tangibly imagines a father figure? Or do you imagine the person of Jesus? If you are an imaginative person, and say you engaged a prayer practice where you set a chair next to you, and the whole time while you're conversing out loud, you are picturing God sitting in that chair, God the Father or God the Son. We could say on some level this is a cataphatic practice, and there's nothing wrong with that practice, but it is not the only way. The contemplative apophatic path would be like this idea of chiseling out a statue from a slab of marble. We begin with a nothing, this possibility in this slab. And then as we sit, work with the Holy Spirit, something emerges, something comes out of that nothingness. One way I have tried to explain God's presence to my children is to refer to that sensation of being in the car. You're on a long road trip. You got some time to kill. So you're looking around the landscape and then suddenly you just feel a presence. You just sense something and you look over at the car next to you and you see someone staring right at you. Or imagine the difference if you are at the table with your whole family all those that are most near to you. You're there sharing your food, and then imagine one of your family members gets up and leaves the table and is in a different part of the house. The room now feels different. There's an absence. There's a presence. If this is true with human beings across the interstate in a car, or across the dinner table, how much more true is this about God's presence where we know a nearness in Father Laird's vocabulary, a sunlit absence that is beyond anything I can adequately explain. So here, ironically, what we're saying is that if God is a sunlit absence, if God is unknowable, Prayer becomes, in contemplative terms, a kind of awareness of clarifying my spiritual eyes to pay attention to an absence. <laughs> so going back to this question of when you pray, do you imagine a being? The common frustration people have with theism, religion, Christianity, the idea of God is that they want God to appear as they are. So we pray big, earnest prayers. God, show yourself. God, arrive. Give me a word. 
most of our knowledge of God comes not from some supernatural event, but from a slow cultivating of our awareness of God. And I'm not saying that God cannot do that, that God cannot show himself in supernatural ways. I'm saying that the invitation by grace is for us to change our habits, to change our loves, and to wrap our lives around Christ as his disciples so that we tune ourselves into the presence of God, so that we become more and more fixated on his love and presence and less and less distracted by all these other false or lesser loves. So prayer then becomes this discipline of awareness. Where is God? Where is Jesus this morning when I wake? Where is God when I am going to work and I'm in the car? Where is God when I'm in the middle of a conflict with my family or a coworker? When I'm on Facebook and frustrated by someone's political rant, where is God as I am choosing what to eat? Where is God as I am attempting to play? Where is God when I am being creative or when I'm reading and studying? Where is God when I lay my head down to go to sleep? Where is God while I'm sleeping? How can we continue to develop our spiritual eyes? On page 63, Father Laird refers again to St. Ezekiel. He says, St. Ezekiel and many like him consider awareness to define contemplative practice. Quote, Awareness is a spiritual method which, sedulously practiced over a long period, completely frees us with God's help from compulsive thoughts. End quote. It, quote, activates, end quote, the soul enabling us to, quote, penetrate the divine and hidden mysteries and leads us insofar as this is possible to a sure knowledge of the inapprehensible God, end quote. Once it is established, and this comes only with time, quote, it guides us to a true and holy way of life, end quote. Addressing these words to his brother monks, St. Ezekiel cannot overlook the opportunity to remark, quote, It is now rather rare among monks, end quote. And that statement reminds me of Thomas Merton commenting on his brothers at Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky when he complained these monks that he lived with, he says, these men are not contemplatives. They're introverts. Father Laird continues, the practice of awareness has an invaluable potential. As it moves from bud to flower to fruit, awareness is not merely an awareness of particular things, though this is by no means reduced, but a ripening, an opening up from within awareness, an opening up that both grounds and embraces our awareness of this or that thing. Silence cultivates awareness, and when cultivated sufficiently, awareness opens up in the capital D depths in which we are immersed 
and have always been immersed. But this realization of what has always been the case does not usually happen all at once any more than a tree moves from seed to sapling and branch without seasons of interaction with the soil, water, and light of our daily lives. And we finish with this uh, bit of chapter four in our episode for today with one final set of metaphors for you to linger in. This is on the middle of 64. St. Ezekiel identifies three moments in this process in which awareness becomes increasingly ungrasping, expansive, and luminous. Quote, While we are being strengthened in Christ Jesus and beginning to move forward in steadfast watchfulness, he at first appears in our intellect like a torch which, when grasped by the hand of the intellect, guides us along the tracks of the mind. Then he appears to us like a full moon, circling the heart's firmament. Then he appears to us like the sun, radiating justice, clearly revealing himself in the full light of spiritual vision. So first a torch, then the moon, and then the sun. In our next movement, the next episode, we will continue where Father Laird clarifies that when we think about the intellect, as Hesychios just did, we're not thinking about the calculative mind, the rational mind that can grasp. And that is to say that as we continue in contemplative practice, not only will our awareness of God and God's absence that is sunlit and glorious increase, but also our awareness of our own selves, of what we're capable of, and how immense that space is inside of you, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have within yourself a sunlit absence. So let's return one more time to our silence. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to radiate the inner depths of our being, to dwell richly inside of ourselves. We acknowledge that you have always been here, and we are just now setting aside our lesser loves to give you the attention that you created us for, to be in communion with you. So we breathe in the sacred name of Jesus. And we breathe out, Jesus. In with Jesus and out with Jesus. Amen. Our Q&A session with Father Laird last week was, for the lack of a better word, really fun. And I mean that. It's a deep joy we had. Folks from the UK, Canada, all over the United States. It was about 20, 25 of us. 
I've gotten some great feedback from those that were present. Thank you for those emails and for those that chipped in some dollars to help support what we're doing this summer. That was greatly appreciated. I will split that conversation into two parts and hopefully have those out for you to listen to and to share within the next five to seven days. What I appreciated most about the Zoom session was a chance to see your faces and to feel the sense of community. So anytime that you send me an email and let me know how you're doing and what you're learning through the invitation is always a great encouragement. My interest is not to just grow something enormous on the internet with lots of likes and listens. My interest is to serve the local church, to see these things grow into real places with real people in real time. Please, I invite you to share the invitation with a friend, family member, co-worker, And of course, your financial help is greatly appreciated as well. You can make donations at the invitationpodcast.org website. You'll see a button for donations at the top of the page. Thank you for listening. I hope you are well wherever you are in this world. Peace of Christ. Until next time, amen.